Coming up on Chasing the Natty, which schools do we expect to see an upgrade in offensive production? Which traditionally great CFF school may have botched their coordinator hire? What is there to be excited about with Tom Herman's return to college football? And is there any value hiding in the offense of the South Florida Bulls? We'll be discussing all of that as we run through 10 of the most impactful coaching hires that'll shape the CFF 2023 season. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Home next to the outside drop down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are basically in that in-between period with college fantasy where the transfer portals close. Uh, we got the first mock draft out of the way, uh, but we're still kind of waiting on spring practices to kick up. So we really kind of went back and looked at like, all right, what are some topics that people have really been asking a ton of information where I've been wanting to hear more information about. And overwhelmingly, we kept hearing coaching changes, coaching changes. How does this impact this player, this player, that player? We're going to be talking a ton about that tonight. And that's again, that's pretty much all we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be running through 10 different coordinator and head coaching changes that'll be impactful for the upcoming season and to help us out with that we have mr nate marquise who has been working on a series of articles regarding this very topic so nate how are you doing today sir and why don't you explain those articles i'm doing great man um just hanging out we're recording a little early so uh, i'm stoked for uh the super bowl coming up with kansas city chiefs um i have a little bit of extra incentive as to why i'm excited for that and that is my work is down the street from where the uh super bowl parade takes place oh nice and uh so we there is no way to get in and out of our clinic uh on the day that the parade happens because it is a massive you know amount of people that funnel into that part of kansas city so if if the chiefs win i get a free uh paid vacation day um, during the uh, parade, so uh, I'm I'm always stoked to see uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, actually win a Super Bowl or the Royals or whoever, uh, so that I can get a day off here. So, yeah, nice little perk. That is a much better reason than I have to root for either one of these teams. <laughs> I I'm I'm kind of leaning towards the Eagles because I'm like, oh, they got they got my a lot of my favorite players, like you know Jordan yeah. Davis, Nicobe Dean, uh, Jalen Hurts, and Devontae Smith. I love all those guys. So it's like. But again, that's that's one hundred percent a great reason. But anyway, the articles that yes. uh, you've been working on. Yeah, let's talk about these. So, um, so they they should be funneling out here here before too long. But 
basically what it is, and this is a little bit uh, of, of a tribute to my friend Kyle Francis, who is kind of the originator of, of this idea to really take a deep dive into how much of an impact a offensive coordinator or, or a head coach that has a lot of influence on the offense for that matter how how much of an impact they make from a fantasy perspective and so i i'm taking a look at uh conference by conference breaking down every uh program that has a new offensive coordinator or a new play caller basically is is how i've set it up and um basically listing off what their uh what their resume looks like where they've coached at and then who they're influenced by, what their own coaching tree looks like, and then taking a look at from quarterbacks, running backs, and then wide receiver and tight ends are grouped together. How does that impact uh, our fantasy outlook for 2023? So uh, is it is an upgrade? Is it a downgrade? Just kind of breaking it down by position because some some hires may be really good for one position and really poor for the other in that sense. So yeah. um excited to talk about a little bit of that tonight. I think we're just going to highlight a, a handful of, uh, of, of some of these coaching changes that are well, two uh, handfuls, make a, two handfuls. Yeah. <laughs> 10 total. So, uh, but some of the ones that are most impactful of uh, a handful of the conferences that we're, that we're featuring here uh, to start things off. Yeah, and again, Nate, you you released a similar kind of article last year, if I remember correctly, and they were wildly successful. And you've gone even, you've dove even deeper into a lot of the stats and everything this year. So I'm really excited to see these articles when they finally come to fruition. And you guys, if you're listening here today, are going to get a quick little teaser on all of those upcoming articles as we hit all these different coaches from all these different conferences. One thing I will talk about before we get into too far into the show and everything. This is the hundredth episode of Chasing the Natty. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not going to spend Hey-o. too. I'm not going to spend too long on this because I know like some people hate like the idea of like episode long specials. So I'm not going to do that to y'all. But like, I do want to take like a quick second to kind of reflect on, you know, like I when I when I started this, it was just me and my roommate Xavier, and we were just talking college fantasy all the time. I'm like, you know what? What if we just started recording our conversations and see if anybody started listening? And well. Here we are later, almost two years later, we're part of one of the fastest growing college fan or one of the fastest fantasy companies in general. And they are giving us plenty of resources to help us expand our tools, expand our reach, expand what we want to do here. I now have incredible regular co-hosts and Nate Marquise and Chris Moxley and a ton of great guests that I can bring on pretty much whenever I ask. It is really more than anything I could ask for and I couldn't do it without all of you guys who are just sitting in your car, sitting at home, listening to this right now. Again, you guys and you guys um, promoting us, celebrating us whenever we do something good. I've really enjoyed the ride. Uh, again, I'm not going to spend too much longer on this, Nate. Do you have anything you want to say on it? I just like to say it's really cool, man. 100 episodes. I remember listening uh, to you and Xavier very early on, uh, and you're kind of the infancy of of when it uh, when you guys got things going. And um, it's it's really cool to see how this show has blossomed. It's awesome that uh, I am now a, a pretty consistent part of it. Um, so just happy to uh, to play a role here, a, a cog in the wheel, so to speak, in 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 the chasing the natty machine. Uh, it would have been really cool. Uh, we'd probably need deeper pockets and a producer in order to make this happen. But it'd be really cool if there were just like a, a five-minute cut-up of um, some of the more uh, either interesting statements that you or, or any of the guests have made or some of the screaming matches maybe that have happened in, in some of our debate shows and, and the uh, – 
uh, what was it the the one that we did where um, the rankings uh, the the uh, ranking summits the ranking summits that we had those were always uh, fun so uh, but yeah man congrats a uh, hundred episodes is really cool. Yeah, and again, like I, the ranking summits we will be doing again for sure this year. I, I, we have we have so many people on our CFF team now. I'm trying to figure out how to decide, like how to decide who gets onto those shows now because like <laughs> that it's a great problem to have. We have a ton of great like smart people working for us, and I'm just like I I don't know who like I I can't put all of us on there unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But anyway, again, quick little reflection there. I think it's now time we really get into the meat of this show. But first things first. I haven't given any kind of spiel yet. I've been trying to do that at the beginning of the shows, but, you know, I always like kind of waiting a little bit into the show and just want to remind you guys out there, if you want to support what we are doing here for College Fantasy, make sure you go over first to campusofcanton.com where you will see all of our written content like the articles that Nate have been has been producing, but you also see all of our tools. You'll see all of our CFF rankings, all of our ADP when we get that mock drafts going and everything. All of that will be there readily available for you to use and we got even more stuff coming your way this season make sure you're following myself and the show on twitter i'm at cff underscore jared you can follow the show's account at chasing the natty um again chasing natty the pod account will have all the announcements uh pretty much all of our engagement posts will be headed on over there so make sure you're following there if you want to interact with the show and then also, of course, make sure you follow our wonderful, wonderful co-host here, Mr. Nate Marquis at CFF Nate. And then if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you comment, like, and subscribe. Love interacting with you guys. We do have a goal of hitting 1,000 subscribers by the start of the season. So if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that button. And go ahead and share us with a couple of your friends and make sure that they subscribe. And then if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you're following us and leaving those five-star reviews. With that being said, Nate, let's get on into this, man. All right, so we're going to start here. We're going to talk about 10 very impactful coaching changes throughout the landscape of college fantasy football. We've got Power 5 guys. We've got G5 guys. We got them from all different sorts of conferences, so we'll get pretty much right into it. And we'll start with the one that I think sent the biggest shockwave when it was announced as and pretty much universally praised by everybody for this hire and that is the hire of garrett riley offensive coordinator at tcu heading over to the clemson tigers again the big knock on uh the big knock on clemson in recent years in Dabo sweeney is that they kept hiring from within they kept trying to run the same system whenever one of their guys got hired away they would just promote with from within and the offense was getting outdated or just quite frankly just bad all around um, Dabo kept saying that, or people kept saying that Dabo would never hire somebody from the outside. And then all of a sudden he pulls this move and brings Garrett Riley over from TCU. This is a guy that guys like myself and a lot of people around the industry were saying would be, a, would have been a great hire for Bama, but Clemson kind of ones up Bama here and gets Garrett Riley before Bama, uh, takes their time to find an offensive coordinator. Honestly, Bama kind of missed out on this one. In my opinion, time will tell on that, but Nate, Let's yeah. start over here with Garrett Riley. What are your thoughts on Garrett Riley going to Clemson? Who is this going to benefit, if not everybody, possibly? Yeah, your your point about um, Alabama being impacted by this hire really was a smart move by Dabo to hop on it a little bit quicker. I mean, rumors were that <laughs> Garrett Riley was essentially uh, negotiating his contract at Clemson while he was uh, trying to prepare for the national championship. So, um, but yeah, so props to Dabo it makes a big, big change. 
yeah, I would say from from an upgrade perspective. So so real quick history that we know of get, uh, Garrett Riley. So he spent last year at TCU as the offensive coordinator, and then two years, twenty and twenty one at SMU. Yes, so um, so those are that that's his history. It is a it's a big upgrade with quarterbacks, and and we touched on this briefly with with Cade Klubnick during the uh, during the the draft mock draft breakdown that we did. Big upgrade for quarterbacks. It's just simply a uh, a, a system that he's had three all three of those years that he is that he has been the play caller at TCU and SMU. He's had three different quarterbacks. All three of them were top twenty fantasy producers. Shane Bouchelle. Tanner Mordecai, and then we know how well Max Duggan, a Heisman Trophy finalist, did last year. So, um, yeah, I think this is wheels up for for Cade Klubnick. Um, running backs. Let, let's talk about receivers real quick. As I was say, re, re, I, this is this is a big upgrade for receivers as well. Part of the problem we saw with Streeter um, and with Tony Elliott, and God, Tony Elliott, uh, lots of problems with his offense, but they simply could not get wide receivers open. That's not a problem for Garrett Riley. He has he does a fantastic job of scheming receivers open, even even more so than than Jeff Scott back whenever he was at Clemson. Jeff Scott had just had incredible talent at wide receiver. Garrett Riley can get average wide receivers open. So I think this is really beneficial um, to two guys like Adam Randall, two guys like uh, to Williams, um, possibly Bo Collins. Um, and I think this also is going to be a big stock up for um, for Jake Burningstool, who's who's the tight end there. Um, Riley has shown that he can use the tight end quite a bit. Uh, Calcaterra was solid for him. And then Granson was the tight end 11 whenever uh, um, he had him there. So I think that there's, I think that there's potential there at tight end as well. Running back, probably less so of an upgrade in my opinion. Uh, It's more of kind of a push. He's, he's had, a mixed bag of results Garrett Riley has as far as running back production. Um, Kendra Miller was uh, just uh, in kind of that RB16 range. So he was about 18 points a game. Um, Trey Siggers the year before that, it was kind of a mixed bag. Bentley was pretty solid um, back in 2020. He was the RB right around RB15 at 19 points per game. Hard to, hard to judge some of these 2020 outputs just because it was a shortened season, but yeah. definitely big grade up upgrade to the pass game. Your thoughts? So definitely overall for the passing game, you have to love this. Here's my, you can call it a concern, but it's something I kind of noticed before Riley was the offensive coordinator at SMU under Sonny Dykes. You had Rhett Lashley there, and they were known for producing just top-end CFF wide receivers, clearly just funneling to one guy over and over again. And in the three years that Riley has been an offensive coordinator, he has produced a single 1,000-yard receiver. He likes to spread the ball around a ton. Their wide receiver, too, typically averages about 606 yards per year. Um, versus their top number one wide receiver averages about 852 yards per year. So, like, again, they're not pr- consistently producing top-end guys. A lot of their wide receiver five, six guys, they're getting just enough work in order to really make sure that none of the top guys at the top really pop off. And the 1,000-yard receiver that he had was Quentin Johnson this past year, which is a good sign. It, it, it shows that it maybe they're kind of moving towards maybe a funneling to one guy. But also I think most people would agree that Quentin Johnson is a unique talent at 
TCU's level that they're used to. And that basically commands more targets from him. Now, again, he's going to Clemson, and he's going to have a couple of really, really good receivers to work with over there. Again, Antonio Williams, he doesn't typically utilize the slot very well, but again, very talented receiver there. Adam Randall is a guy that a lot of us at Campus of Canton are very excited about. You, You still have guys like Bo Collins there. That's just kind of my concern is that like I yeah. want to be excited about the passing game, but I am not particularly excited about probably where some of these receivers are going to end up going if the hype gets to them. I think that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I think if we if we were ranking it, just kind of who's, whose stock is on the rise the most out of this group, um, I would put quarterbacks first and, and then wide receivers and then running backs. Um, but yeah, it's – you bring up a great point. If if the hype just kind of goes bananas here and all of a sudden these guys, um, Randall, Williams, Collins, guys like that start getting taken earlier and earlier in drafts, um, then it is probably cause cons- for concern because over the last three years, his leading wide receiver has been somewhere between 12 fantasy points per game and right over 13 fantasy points <laughs> per game. We're not talking about um, you know, a top 20 wide receiver here. We're, we're, we're talking just a, a serviceable, you know, wide receiver three or four on your roster. Yeah, Abso- absolutely. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say on Garrett Riley. Again, obviously, just, just from a pure football perspective, great hire on Clemson's mm-hmm. part. But other than that, I don't really have a ton to say. I, I agree with you on the running backs in terms of like, I think this is mostly kind of a push in terms of value for Will Shipley. Maybe a little yeah. bit of a raise because, you know, <clears throat> they're, they're going to have a better passing game, which is going to open up the running game just a little bit more for them. So maybe he can break off a few bigger runs. But other than that, I'm not going to like, he's already going as a, as a round two running back in CFF. Yeah. Like I doubt he's going to, I'm going to raise him any higher. Right. Yeah. It's a situation where his value is kind of insulated. He's not going to drop because of this hire. It's kind of difficult to take him any higher than where he's currently going. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about, you'd, you'd have to take him as a top three running back. Um, and I, I don't know that anybody's really prepared to kind of go that far yet. Um, but it's, it's solid. Like I said, it's a solid hire for Will Shipley. It insulates his value. And that's really all you can ask for of a guy that's being taken as high as he is. Absolutely. All right. Let's go on to our next coordinator hire here from one hire that pretty much everybody universally praised to one that I think everybody universally went, eh, and probably a little worse than that if you're Nate Marquise, <laughs> oh, and I'm sure yes. he'll get into here, but I'll go ahead and give my quick thoughts yeah. on Chip Lindsay. Again, the main thing I knew about him before this was, again, he has been with Gus Malzahn at both UCF and Auburn, which basically means that... Malzahn used him as a lackey to run his offense through. He was a coordinator in name only, really. It wasn't really much of a play caller, which is definitely a big concern here. Uh, and then I went and looked in terms of like his overall history at some of the other schools that he's been to. He started off his coordinator career at Southern Miss in 2014-2015. Uh, Had some great seasons there. And I'm like, wow, uh, this is actually some... This is actually some <laughs> potential like surprise yeah. here I'm, I'm excited about this and then i realized that is when todd monken was the head coach at southern yes, miss it and was. it was his system yep. not Lindsay's system <clears throat> so you go to arizona state putrid not uh, pedestrian numbers there 2300 passing yards uh top receivers a little over 700 top running back was 500 something yards and then you go to troy and uh, his first year there 
3,600 passing yards, 30 touchdowns already. That's great. Next two years, split QB situations and just mediocrity across the board in terms of production. Just not... Again, these offenses weren't terrible per se, but in terms of you're looking for CFF value, this is definitely a worry for a UNC offense that has, and we'll get into this a little bit with Phil Longo later, has produced a ton of -hmm. CFF guys over the past couple of years. And now we have Drake May going as, well, he went second overall, but he'll insulate himself as his first overall or first round pick easily this year in CFF. Nate, I'm. This is a little concerning, and I'm sure you're going to go into a little bit more detail here. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. Um, you know, I, I with each one of these coaching changes, I went into it with a with a totally just um, objective view, and and had no predetermined uh, thoughts on anything. Just said, okay, what do the numbers tell me? Let's track where they've been, what they've done, everywhere they've been, where they've been, a play caller especially. What kind of results do they produce? Uh, and unfortunately, Chip Lindsay was is just simply so far one of the the more disappointing um, the hires that I found from a from a CFF perspective. You know, you could probably even say that from just a pure football perspective too. The the one trend that I noticed, he's a really good right hand man. When he was when he was on Monk and staff at Southern Miss, things went well. Things went well pretty good last year for uh, Central Florida when he was Gus Malzahn's right-hand guy. Um, but when he was in control at Troy at uh, during his time at Arizona State, things just simply did not go as well. And um, what we know about Mac Brown is that he is – you know, he's playing this CEO role. He is not one that likes to interfere in what's going on uh, with his coach's staff. He lets his OC do their thing on offense and DC, same thing on defense. Um, and Lindsay just simply doesn't have a great, you know, track record um, to match the, when we're talking about, like you mentioned, this massive 2022 output that North Carolina had at quarterback. Uh, Elijah Green came in and was really strong down the stretch at running back. And then obviously Downs and Green, all those guys were just killer um, at wide receiver. Just kind of give you a glimpse of of what we're talking about with um, with his running backs, um, let's let's start at quarterbacks real quick there. So obviously, John Reese Plumley was really good QB in that QB seventeen range. Before that, we're talking about Gunnar Watson. Yeah, you know, yeah. 10, 10 fantasy points out of your quarterback. Gunnar Watson the year before that, fourteen fantasy points. Um, he, like I said, he was relatively disappointing during his time at Arizona State. Um, yeah. At running back, I mean, Kamani Vidal was was his go-to running back when he was at Troy. He averaged between 10 and 12 points per game the two seasons where Chip uh, Lindsey was there. All of a sudden, Kamani Vidal became a much more fantasy-relevant running back last year whenever yep. Lindsey left to go to Central Florida. That was a trend that I kept finding. When Lindsey showed up, they kind of went down. And when he left, it actually got better. And so it's yep. like, man, that's that's just not good. It's not a good sign. But you're right. Um this North Carolina offense will still be good. It's got a lot of really nice pieces for fantasy purposes. They're got a bad defense, so they're going to trail. They still have that bad defense. They have a bad defense. They're going to trail in a lot of games, um, but I'm definitely, I'm, I'm concerned. Uh, this coaching change has me concerned. Uh, I looked at their, their schedule. It's a lot more challenging this year. They face Clemson uh, along with North Carolina state in the playoff yep. weeks. Uh, they're non they're yeah. Their non-conference is, um, is actually pretty legit. 
they I know they have like uh, Virginia Tech or not Virginia Tech. Uh, they have a they have a handful of of pretty solid um, non conference games against P five opponents. Um, so yeah, so that's it's it's definitely one of the more concerning hires I would say. The crazy part to me is that apparently Drake May and a lot of some of the offensive like other offensive skill sets there had a say in yeah, this offensive hire and this is the guy that they landed on which again maybe that's a good thing maybe they they really did click with Lindsay maybe Lindsay yeah. under maybe this is finally the offense that Lindsay understands and maybe maybe Mac Brown basically brought Lindsay in and said hey you've run other people's offenses for them at other mm-hmm. schools you saw what Phil Longo did last year. Basically, do that again. Maybe that's the conversation that they had. Maybe Lindsey's good at replicating offenses like that. But like you said, when it's just him making those decisions and he has full control, it's typically not great overall. Yeah, like you mentioned with with Clemson, I, I have concerns that that a lot of this North Carolina roster is going to get overdrafted in our CFF drafts. Yeah. They're going to expect that Phil Longo offense, and we'll touch on him later. And I, I just don't know that that that's going to be. I don't know that 2022 is going to be able to be duplicated like we hope it will. It doesn't help that UNC, especially at the receiver position, because of what they brought in with the portal, they have some really good options. Mm-hmm. Like they brought in Devent- Devontae Walker, they brought in Nate McCollum, but Case, uh, Kobe Paysor, Andre Green, both two yeah. talented guys. It wouldn't shock me, especially with Lindsey's propensity to kind of spread the ball around and not really have a top guy if all of those guys end up disappointing a little bit because they want to get all of those guys on the field at some point. Yeah, and, Drake and May, Drake May probably doesn't care because he just he just wants good options to throw to. Yeah, and you touched on all the options of wide receiver. I mean, we don't even need to get into the amount of options they've got at running back. Oh, but my it's, God. Uh, it's, it's an, you know, the fact that, I mean, I think that one or two might transfer after the spring, but that still means that there's, three to five viable options of guys that have proven they they can be pretty successful at this level i think they i think they have currently seven scholarship running backs yeah it's on, on their team right now and like like you said pretty much all of them have seen the field at some point this season except for the mm-hmm. freshman that they're bringing in this year which um i i guarantee you they redshirt him but even so everybody else is gonna be a complete log jam well, yeah, and we'll we'll talk about it more with Phil Longo, but the, with Chip Lindsay, he just he tends to spread things around a little bit, and mm-hmm. um, and we're not talking about spreading around, you know, like Mike Leach passing yards spread around. We're talking about a far far lower ceiling, uh, and and that being distri- distributed among a number of players. So that's 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 where my concern lies. Absolutely. Next guy up, we're going to stick in the ACC here. We're actually going to stick in the state of North Carolina here. Let's talk about Robert Anae going over from Syracuse to NC State. Reunites with his most recent protege quarterback in Brennan Armstrong. I'm going to let you kind of start off on this one, Nate. Um, again, we've just seen him have very successful quarterbacks um, between Bryce Perkins and, Bry- and Brennan Armstrong when he's mm-hmm. at Virginia. But what are your overall thoughts on this? I imagine they're mostly positive. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. If you're a North Carolina fan listening right now, you're probably not loving the fact that we just kind of kind of trashed a little bit the the North Carolina hire, and now here we are um, about to hype up the NC State hire. But yeah, I mean, if you've if you've listened to me before, and, and I know Jared's kind of on the same uh, bus as me when it comes to this, but I'm I'm a big Robert and Nate fan more for for CFF purposes than real you know real reality football is that. 
Um, he's a volume guy, volume, volume, volume. They run high octane offense. Uh, it's not the most efficient offense, but you're talking about, um, especially from the quarterback position where volume has just been incredible. Taysom Hill back at uh, BYU, Bryce Perkins, Brennan Armstrong, even Garrett Schrader. Um, all these guys have something in common. They're dual threat guys. Um, Hill and Perkins had seasons of 212, 227, and 246 carries from the running back position. Mm -hmm. That's what you want out of your – that from the quarterback position. That's what you want out of your running back. And he's getting 246 carries from his running back. Um, his quarterback. Perkins, sorry, I keep getting confused because they run the ball. So I know I, I, they basically <laughs> act like running backs. But here's the deal. So you're thinking, okay, well, they, you know, it's just one of these offenses, kind of like uh, John Reese Plumley that just runs the ball the whole time. Nope, nope, nope. He's actually had twice. He's had quarterbacks throw Perkins and Armstrong through for more than 500 passes. <laughs> this is just the amount of volume. Yes, Bryce Perkins had more than 500 passes than over 200 rushes in the same season. It's incredible. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is a guy that's produced. QB, uh, let's see, Armstrong was like QB two or three. He was like Perkins. QB four that year, I think. Yeah, Perkins, QB seven and QB 12 during those two years. Um, you know, Taysom Hill was amazing, just always hurt. But but yeah, it's it's incredible volume. Um, it's way more volume than what we're used to seeing out of North Carolina State, I can promise you that. Uh, he does usually uh, have enough volume to support at least one fantasy-relevant wide receiver, which is good because I don't know that we could say that about North Carolina State for a while. Nope. Um, so, so I think it's an upgrade there. The only spot that it's really not an upgrade is running back. North Carolina State's been pretty consistent at running back, and um, that's where I do have my concerns uh, with Robert and A. His running backs tend to see a little bit of a decline. Um, they don't get a ton of carries because it's just it's it's difficult for the running back to have the volume you would want to see whenever the, the quarterback's getting that much volume. Well, the good news is if you're a North Carolina State fan or if you're just a fan of this offense in general is that the running backs here, again, no disrespect to Jordan Houston or, or Slimy Shark, <laughs> Neither one of them were kind of your running away, clearly um, elite talent running backs, and now they're going to be pushed down by this system. The talent on this team, in my opinion, lies in the quarterback position. Again, you bring in Brennan Armstrong, yep. who has succeeded under Ene before, and then you also had more MJ Morris, who was killing it at the end of the mm -hmm. season for NC State, and if Brennan Armstrong didn't come in, to basically take the job from him here, I would have considered him a very viable CFF option because of how well he was able to distribute the ball last year. Nate, you touched on it. The receiving options, again, they spread the ball around typically, but because of how much volume there is, there is typically one or two receivers that a pop up for this offense. Who are you looking at here though, Nate? Because Thayer Thomas, Devin Carter, they're both gone. I like Porter Rooks, but nobody has really stepped out to me as a clear guy that I'll be targeting in CFF as of yet. Have you seen anybody in your research that strikes you as that dude? No, have they added anybody from the portal? I was trying to think if they did um, I can in this first quick. round of portals. There, there's somebody that I, I would not be surprised if after spring um, they add 
uh, a player from the portal uh, for sure. Um, but I, I'll be honest with you, Jared. I haven't taken um, a a super deep dive into what they have uh, left over from last year and who could be that guy to step up. I'm with you. I think there's potential there. Um, but in going through these, that was kind of the deal with whenever I made these articles is that it was, I, I based it strictly off of um, objective findings and the historical data of these coaches and, and tried not to inject too much of, of my uh, subjective or projections uh, on each team and, and just kind of go with the objective data though. No, fair enough. And I just came across a name that I realized that Colin Decker is going to yell at me for later, Dakari Collins. Oh Clemson. yeah, that is that is right. I forgot. So why that, it was. That, that's a pretty legitimate option they've added through the portal there, but I wouldn't be surprised if they added somebody else. <clears throat> sure. Maybe yeah, maybe yeah, in, think... maybe a Virginia receiver that has an extra year of eligibility. Maybe <laughs> wants to hop over there, play one more season with Brennan. Maybe it, you brought it, you brought up the, the the deal with MJ Morris um, still being there, and obviously they'll they'll compete in the spring. Um, I, I I can almost guarantee you Armstrong is going to win. Um, but it 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 creates this pretty cool situation in that Brennan Armstrong is known as like, you know, he wants to be an MMA fighter when he's done playing college football. That's his I love it. That's his aspirations. So you can, if you're Robert Denae, uh, and and you love to run the quarterback and you know you've got a stud sitting right there behind Armstrong, you can say, Brennan, hey man. Get after it, dude. Run, <laughs> run your until your till your legs are smooth, worn out. And if you get hurt, don't worry, we've got somebody else. Just run the hell out of the ball. Oh yeah, and it, it, I would lo- I would love to see Brandon Armstrong reach 200 carries this season. Yep. That would be absolutely nuts. Let's move on to our next guy here. Again, sticking in the ACC. A lot of lot of great hires, great and bad hires being made in the ACC. But let's go and talk about a head coaching change. Let's talk about Jeff Brom heading over from Purdue, going to Louisville here. When we think of Jeff Brom and CFF, we think of really one thing and one thing only, and that is the consistency of his number one wide receiver. Over the last six years that he was at Purdue, he had four 1,000-yard receivers. The only exceptions were his first year that he was there, you know, trying to bring in your system, trying to figure out what you have. And then 2020, where they only played six games. And if you extrapolated six games into 12 games, he would have had another 1,000-yard wide receiver that season as well if they kept pace of what they were doing. Here is my question for you, Nate. We've seen two different types of offenses come out of Jeff Brom. We have seen the the pass-heavy attack that we've loved to come to see from Purdue— But also, back when he was at Western Kentucky, three years in a row, he had a running back that hit well over a 1,000 yards. And he he seems to be a bit more inclined, at least in his first year or two at each school, to be a bit more inclined towards the run as he figures out his passing game. And we kind of see that with Louisville right now. He doesn't really have a stud at quarterback that he can really trust, I don't think. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you, which type of offense do you think we're seeing this year? I know people are already investing in Jamari Thrash. I know some people are high on Kevin Coleman. I'm personally kind of looking at Jawar Jordan, the running back here at Louisville. I know that they brought in Isaiah uh, Guernardo, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, They brought him in from from Wisconsin. But Mm -hmm. Jawar Jordan, in that mess of a running back room last year, led the way with 142 carries, 815 yards, four touchdowns that's almost 60 yards per carry so it's not like he was being a slouch and like a Dominic Richardson kind of deal where he's plodding along for two three yards a carry right 
I'm throwing a lot at you, Nate, but like, what are yeah. your thoughts on what are your thoughts on Brom? Yeah, no, you bring up a great point with the running backs. I would say whenever I started doing my research on this coaching change was maybe the, uh, you know, I discovered way more than I anticipated. I, I learned a lot about this situation because, uh, yeah, things were so different at Western Kentucky than they were at Purdue. And maybe that's uh, a, a testament to the defense that, they, that he was facing in the Big Ten as opposed to Western Kentucky. You know, sure. they love to just, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust over there in that division of the of the Big Ten. Um, and it may have been just the, the lack of, you know, the fact that he was constantly playing from behind uh, with Purdue and their talent level. So he was having to throw the ball more than than run. But yes, great point. West Kentucky, here's here's something I include in the article. In his four years as West Kentucky's play caller, um, their average stat line from the running backs was two. So this is the leading running back, 233 carries, 1,500 yards, 16 rushing touchdowns, 37 receptions, and 376 receiving touchdowns. Sir, That's I'm, all, all I'm hearing is Jawar Jordan hype right now. That's all I'm hearing. <laughs> That's over a four-year stretch, so um, that's a that's a pretty good. I mean, that's that's a pretty good amount of uh, of sample size that we've got to work with there. So what we saw was is that he he when he finds a workhorse, he will run that guy. We saw that a little bit with Maccabi in the mm-hmm. second half of the season last year. Um, we saw that with with Xander Horvath in the twenty twenty COVID year. He averaged almost seventeen fantasy points per game in that six game uh, season. So there is potential there, and I've often thought like, okay. With him being in the ACC, he's playing a little bit softer defenses. He's got the potential for the game script to be a little bit different. Does the run game play a bit more of a role here? And I, I think there's I think there's a legit chance of that. Um, one thing I also realized with Brom too, I just I, I think my mind just automatically thought, uh, you know, hey Purdue, um, and and even at Western Kentucky's quarterbacks were incredible, but at Purdue they, when they constantly produce these outstanding wide receiver. Uh, seasons you you think the quarterback falls in line with that somewhere and and it really doesn't match up this is a guy that consistently during his time at Purdue some of it was a little bit due to injury but consistently produced a guy that was in the QB 45 to QB 50 range yep um the 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 massive volume that we think we get out of the Purdue pass system was okay but it wasn't super efficient and it really just tended to funnel to one to two guys in that pass game and that's why those wide receivers like like Bell um like Rondell and 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 some of those other guys were just so good um so i i that was kind of something that i learned in in researching this is that maybe we do look at the running backs a little bit more and maybe we've been overvaluing some Brom quarterbacks a little bit lately. That's what I was kind of thinking as well. And like going into this year, currently I would say the number one quarterback he has on that roster is probably Jack Plummer, who just came over from Cal and was with him right. at Purdue. But Jack Plummer was never particularly impressive when he was at Purdue. Um, he and transferred you, from Brom. He transferred from Brom because Brom right. benched him. Um, <laughs> right. You got a talented quarterback coming in in Pierce Clarkson. I know a lot of people are very high on him as well, but I'm not particularly expecting any freshman quarterback no. to take over year one. Uh, especially, I mean, to be fair, a new head coaching system, maybe he just wants to start from the ground up. You know, there's no expectations. Let's put a freshman quarterback out there. Maybe we'll see. I don't think so, but it's just he, a fun idea. 
he historically has has never played young quarterbacks. He almost always goes with the experienced guys. Good call. So I, I with him bringing in a former quarterback of his, I, I think that 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 he Plummer has essentially already locked up this job. Yeah, and I pretty much would say that if if Plummer's your quarterback, they're going to have to rely on the run game if they want <laughs> they want any kind of yeah. success in the offense. And another thing, and again, like you've mentioned about like him possibly playing from behind at Purdue and everything. I, another theory I might have is that he just seems like the kind of coach that whatever a lot of other people are doing in his conference, he likes to do the opposite. So like CUSA yeah. pass all, all over the field. Hey, let's run the ball and get a 1,600-yard running back, slow the game down, make them face something different than they have week in, week out. Big 10. Three yards in a cloud of dust all over the field. All these great running backs. Hey, let's toss the ball all over the field and make them defend something they're not used to on a week-in, week-out basis. And it worked a lot of times. They got a lot of great upsets. I mean, spoiler makers is a very big, is a very real deal because of the fact that they caught a lot of really good teams off guard with their offense. So yeah, maybe he does the same point. thing in the ACC where a lot of pass-heavy teams, hey, let's run the ball all the time. Yeah, Crossing my fingers. Jawar Jordan hype. Let's go. I like it. Moving on here, let's go talk about Phil Longo. We kind of we kind of teased talking about Phil Longo quite a bit in this show, and I I'm going to just recap some of the incredible CFF production that we've seen from him just at UNC in the last four years. In the last four years, we have seen six 800 yard plus rushers. Four of them have been 1,000-plus-yard rushers in four years. Uh, in one year, he had multiple 1,000-yard rushers. In uh, every all four years, his quarterback has passed for at least 3,000 yards. And in three of those years, he has passed for 3,500-plus yards. And he has seen 5,000-yard receivers in the last four years. Typically, with some of these offenses, it's like you get one or the other. You either get your consistent 1,000-yard receiver or your consistent 1,000-yard running back. Phil Longo, at least at UNC, has found a way to pretty consistently get you both. Obviously, this last year, with the mess they had at the running back position, they couldn't get another 1,000-yard running back out of that. But that's the ACC. Defense is optional over there. He's moving over to the Big Ten. There's definitely a question now of can he continue this great level of production for CFF in a conference that prides itself a little bit more on its defensive talent and production. So, Nate, I'll let you take over from here. What can we expect from Phil Longo? Yeah, I mean, I think you summing up just how productive he's been uh, at his time in North Carolina, uh, his time at Ole Miss. I mean, he's been incredibly productive. It, what's What's weird is I uh, for this article, I always research where what the coaches coaches background was. Where do they come from? Where Where have they been? Who have they learned from? Phil Longo is like a mystery man. <laughs> this dude, this dude came from I, I want to say like uh, the high school ranks, and then he he hung around in in like Division three for for a while. He's got like no um, no mentor, nothing. The dude just I think he came up with this offense on his own, and uh, and it's been pretty incredible for him. I mean, obviously he's worked his way all the way, uh, you know, to a really nice job in the Big Ten. Um, but kind of my concerns are is that it's kind of the opposite of Jeff Brom, right? He's he's going from the ACC to that division in the Big Ten, to the Big Ten West, where, um, you know, it's just slug, you know, punch you in the mouth football. And I was going to run 13 plays and try to wrap up the game just by punting the ball. Uh, Minnesota's not going to, you know, they're going to be about the same. So 
Uh, so that's a little bit of my concern. How well is, you know, Texas boy Tanner Mordecai going to do throwing the ball in late November up in Madtown whenever it's seven degrees and snowing with 35 mile an hour winds <laughs> that, that some of those, some of those things do concern me a little bit, but across the board, um, especially on the passing side, quarterback, wide receiver, you know, whenever I'm, I'm taking a look at if this is an upgrade or a downgrade, this is one of the biggest upgrades um, that that I have so far in, in any of these articles. His pass offense is is just moving them out of the dark ages and into the light um, of 2023 here. It, it's hilarious to think uh, that a lot of people in Wisconsin thought that Bobby Ingram was going to pull uh, Caleb Williams and that, uh, you know, some craziness was going to happen last year. Um, and once again, they were really, really bad on offense. So um, the nice thing is we've seen so far from Luke Fickle, even though we have a defensive head coach, he's willing to let his offensive coordinator go nuts and, yep. and, and run the show. So that's good for Phil Longo. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that Tanner Mordecai comes in and, and wins this job and um, and there's there's a lot of nice pieces there with with him and Braylon Allen, and we we have to discover what what's that wide receiver room going to look like, and who's going to be the one to step up. So let's talk about some of those pieces real quick, Nate. Again, we talked about it last week when we were discussing the draft about Braylon Allen went off in the first round. We both kind of agreed that that was a little rich, but I did get a DM from somebody asking me like, "Oh, so you just off Braylon Allen this this year?" No, 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 no. Again, Phil Longo. Six 800-yard rushers, 4,000-yard rushers in the last four years. No, I am not off Braylon Allen. He finds ways to get his running backs the work they need. My th um, right, Writes in notes, Jared is way off of Braylon Allen. Way off Braylon Allen. You're never going <laughs> to see me draft him at all. Make sure he falls as far as you can just so you can test how long it'll be before I yeah. draft him. Um but again, we all agree, Braylon Allen, he's a stud there. Ches Malusi, again, a lot of people said like, oh, they're going to split the workload between him and Ches Malusi because Ches Malusi was uh, working well whenever he was healthy. Again, Phil Longo, he can do multiple productive running backs. It's fine. The receivers, to me, is the bigger question mark, Nate. Sure. Again, 4,000 or 5,000 yard receivers in the last four years. It feels like somebody in this offense is going to be going off. And they have some interesting options that I know Wisconsin fans have been decently excited about between Shimray DK and Skylar Bell. But they also bring in some guys like Bryson Green from Oklahoma State, as well as CJ Williams, the four-star mm -hmm. freshman wide receiver from USC. Is there anybody that you have your eye on as somebody that you are thinking about drafting as a, again, somebody in this offense is going to probably go off? Yeah, so here's the thing. With Bell and DK, I actually have to go back and watch a little bit of film from them because they were so far off my radar. Like, Wisconsin wide receivers, uh, <laughs> done. I don't need to research them. I let, I haven't researched them for three years. I don't need any any part of that. Now I do. So, but I don't. I don't have any clue if they're any good because I, I have. I have not even. I've not even looked at them. I do think that Bryson Green from Oklahoma State. Um, I think is kind of a little bit of a sleeper. He's not a bad player. Um, but I don't know how much he, how well he stacks up talent wise. Just because I think that. Um, those wide receivers just haven't been given a chance that are currently on roster there. So I think the spring spring uh, practices um, and and the spring games is really going to tell us a lot on what that room, the makeup of that room is going to look like. All righty. 
Let's set up our last Power 5 coordinator that we're going to talk about here. Kendall Bryles going over from Arkansas over to, excuse me, uh, TCU. Here's my kind of question. I, or there's two notes that I have kind of written down here. One, whose offense is this going to be ultimately at the end of the day? Because Kendall Bryles, he has kind of a, a, a style that he goes with, tends to be a bit rusher, uh, rush-heavy approach. But Dykes also is an offensive-minded guy. He loves running his system. Is Kendall Bryles brought in to kind of change things up, or is he going to keep things status quo with Dykes' system here? So, Nate, what did you find in your research? Well, and we know that, that Bryles obviously comes from this, you know, this Baylor um you know, coaching tree, this Art Bryles coaching tree, who was his dad, uh, they run this veer and shoot system. And we see it at a number of places. Uh, Alex Golesh ran it at Tennessee uh, last year. Um, we know that um, Jeff Levy runs it at Oklahoma. So there's a handful of these guys out there. Uh, the beauty of this offense is, is that they do run up tempo. Honestly, from, from all my research, Kendall actually is the slowest of all of them. He runs with the least pace of any of these Bryles disciples, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, but his quarterbacks have always been um, pretty fantasy relevant. They've always been involved in the run game. Um, and his running backs have been really hot and cold. So I think that's what's going to be interesting. And it's if you look at Sonny Dyke's history, his running backs have also been hot and cold. So um, I have my concerns there that this, you know, with the the loss of Kendra Miller, do we see a cold season and we're waiting and trying to find that next big time running back at TCU? Because um, some of the guys that he's had, you know, as far as Devin Singletary, Cam Akers during that year, he had a Florida State, Raheem Sanders last year, when he finds his guy, Kendall Riles really will feed a, a, a number one workhorse type back. I just don't know if that's necessarily what's currently on roster there at TCU um, with Kendra Miller moving on. So um, I think it's, a, I think it's got a chance to be a pretty nice blend of what Dykes can do as far as his more air raid based type of, of scheme. And then this, you know, the, the veer and, and shoot that, that um that Kendall Bryles and and his background comes from. So I think it can work. Um and I imagine if you're going to take the risk of hiring somebody like Kendall Bryles who, you know, the public views as having a lot of baggage uh from from his connection to his father, um I I would think you're going to let him, you know, kind of run the show there. Otherwise, mm -hmm. why would you why why would you, you know, put your put yourself out there like that and and deal with all the pushback that the fan base has seen at TCU if you're not going to let him do that. Yeah, absolutely. And like I'm going back to the running backs, that's the other kind of point I want to touch on here is that again, overall, Bryles, like you said, he he runs that veer and shoot system, but he does like he does seem to prefer a little bit more of a rush heavy approach. Again, like yeah. you're looking up here on the screen, their neutral game pass rate last year at Arkansas was thirty three point three percent. It's actually extremely low. For a typical Power 5 school, typically you're looking around like 45 to 50% is very, very much on average there for a Power 5 school. So they, they were running the ball a ton. Now, granted, Arkansas typically loves running the ball, so you can't really, like, you, you can kind of attribute it to that as well. So let's look at who they have here on roster in terms of the running back, because we agree that that's probably where some value can come from here outside of the quarterback position, which I think we both agree Probably the safest bet in this offense is to find out who the quarterback is and then draft them. 
Trey Sanders, the former five-star running back, comes over from Alabama. The problem is that, for lack of better terms, he has been injured twice, or I believe he's torn his ACL twice. So, in a way, he is, I, I hate saying this, but almost damaged goods. It's hard to see a guy who's coming off two ACL tears, or I, I probably shouldn't say that over and over again, but he's been injured quite a lot, and you don't know that he's sure. going to be able to come back from that. Amani Bailey was somebody that people were very excited about last year coming into TCU. He pretty much was the third best best option that they had last year behind Miller and DiMarcado. DiMarcado, he is out of there. He's out of eligibility. Otherwise, I pretty much would be drafting DiMarcado everywhere I would be looking for. Either one of those guys stand out to you, Nate, or they also got the freshman coming in, Cameron Cook. I don't know if you've looked into him at all. I have not. No, I haven't I haven't had a chance to look at him yet. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty hesitant with Sanders, to be honest with you. Um, that's just that, that's a pretty significant um, track record of injuries. Hard hard to think that he's still that five star that we saw come into Alabama a couple you know few years back. So um, yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I think this is a situation where um, it's going to be a little bit of a wait and see approach for me. And um, you know, those that are willing to take some risks on this running back room and drafts may get paid off pretty handsomely for it. If, uh, you know, if it works out, but um, I, I think there's a, a big chance that we see kind of one of those cold years and then they figure out who's who's the next man up and, and we see it kind of take off a little bit more next year. Correction. He had tore his ACL only once. He got in a car wreck, too. That was a, that. And then he got into a car wreck. That's the other. Yeah. I, I'm like, he got seriously injured twice. Yeah. The second time was a car wreck. Yeah. Um, but regardless, he's not quite the five-star running back that he was coming out of high school, unfortunately. Uh, I'm trying to think. Any other things I would put out? Wide receivers here, both Art Bryles and Sonny Dyke seem to be more inclined to kind of spread things out among their wide receivers. It shows them bringing in some guys like JoJo Earl, John, uh, John Paul Richardson from Oklahoma State. They're trying to just accumulate talent. They got uh, Jordan Hudson. Yeah, it's so many guys for them to throw to. I don't think any one of those guys is really going to break from the pack this year. It's it's a lot of guys, but um, when again when Bryles finds his guy like he did with Traylon Burks, um, he tends to feature that guy. Um, similar to uh, the uh, the other coaches in the Baylor tree, it really doesn't matter if he's playing inside or outside. Um, he can he, he'll he'll target his best wide receiver. Um, you know, I, I would probably, if, if I'm pushing in my chips, it might be on Hudson right now, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, but man, yeah, there's, there's a lot of moving parts in that room right now. All right. Let's get to some of these G5 guys and really no other place to start than the return of Mr. Tom Herman to college football after spending a couple of years at the NFL as an offensive analyst for the Bears. The former head coach of the Texas Longhorns has returned to be the head coach of the Florida Atlantic Owls. So, Nate, Tom Herman com comes into FAU. What are we looking at here? What is there to be excited about? Any positions that we can look forward to? Yeah, this is another one from a CFF perspective that that has a chance to be one of the the the, the more impressive hires, uh, just given his track record, especially at at quarterback. Um, 
it's it's a it's a massive upgrade from from what they were doing before this with Willie Taggart, Brett Brent Dearman. That was the, yeah. the staff that was there before. Um, you know, this is a guy that throughout his years, I mean, he he's from that Urban Meyer coaching tree, and and Urban, you know, has a really strong track record with quarterbacks as well. Too, I mean, this is a guy Tom Herman produced the QB four and QB twenty with Greg Ward in his two seasons with him at Houston. Um, and then we all know how how impressive Sam Ellinger was. I mean, we're talking about a quarterback that three years in a row was in that top 10. I mean, just an elite yep. CFF producer. So um, I think that means good things, um, especially, you know, I mean, this is a guy that's, that's dipping down a level into, um, you know, the American Athletic, which is, is still a strong G5 conference, but there's no reason to think that he can't um, – he can't expose some of those defenses that he's going to be facing uh, whenever he gets into conference play. And uh, so I think it's big stock up for the, uh, for the quarterback. I think it's a solid upgrade for the wide receiver as well, too. And, and we know that, um, that the slot position, the inside receiver position has been really valuable for, um, for Tom Herman offenses. If you remember, even if it's a big wide receiver, you remember Lil Jordan Humphrey that oh, yeah. he had back in 2018 with, um, with, um, uh, Texas, everybody thought, uh, Eagles was going to be the guy. And then this six foot four freakish, uh, slot receiver ends up, uh, with a really cool name, ends up being the the uh, the dude there, Devin Duvernay, um, yep. and he, even Joshua Moore had a solid season uh, under him. So um, you know, it's just it's it's a situation where if if we can get a pretty good idea of what that the lead slot guy is going to look like for FAU, I think it's definitely worth investing in. Running back's been kind of hit or miss. So I just looked it up. I checked it this time, so I don't have to. I don't have to eat crow later about who's the slot, who's on the outside. Do you know who the starting <laughs> slot receiver for Florida Atlantic is? I do not. Lejonte Wester. I thought he was out of eligibility. Uh, according to this, he is coming back, but I'll double check that later. But okay. currently, currently, it's Lejonte Wester. I think yeah. I looked um, the uh, the NFL draft declarations and senior list that Colin's been updating on our C2C website. I thought I looked up because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in on Webster if if that's because uh, I thought he was a slot as well. Um, but I thought he may be leaving. But, yeah, we'll, we'll probably have to double check that. If you're listening, double check that. Yeah, just shoot me an email if you know or not. There's, there's there's always some people there's always somebody out there that's just like oh yeah that's that's my team that i follow like all the time and it's like great you might be doing you, you might be doing a better job than the beat writers are <laughs> all right let's move on to another uh actually this yeah another head coaching hire alex golish yeah. offensive coordinator from tennessee heading over to south florida tease at the top of the show i feel like there's some value to be found here with the south florida bulls the problem is who is it going to be? Because, again, if they're running a Tennessee-style offense and they're able to get it up and running in year one and they're able to take advantage of the American Athletic Conference, another conference where defense is very much optional, but who do we love here? I personally am starting to really like the idea of Byron Brown. Again, I wanted Taven Jackson to, come to follow him down here to South Florida, but Byron right. Brown, last year when he kind of finished off the year, Dual threat guy definitely likes to run in the limited action that he saw. And he definitely had probably the most impressive yards per attempt out of the quarterbacks that South Florida had last year outside of Jerry Bohannon. Jerry Bohannon, if he was coming back this year, I would probably be pretty in on him. But I think he is he is definitely out of eligibility. 
He is definitely not. He's definitely not? No, no. He's got another one left. He's oh, there. that's news to me. That ooh, that's interesting. He's oh, there. that's yep. interesting. I, I could have sworn he was completely <laughs> out. Um no. so yeah, there's quarterbacks there. Last two years at Tennessee, they do well rush running the ball a lot better than people kind of give them credit for. Because again, all the all people think about is the big pass plays, but they definitely spread things out a little bit. So and there's nobody really here on this roster that I am loving. Again, you got Michael Dukes. Uh, Brian Batty transfers out, goes to Auburn, but you bring in Naquan Wright from Florida. I think he's gonna is gonna be running back by committee for the most part. You're not gonna really find a true CFF back here. Maybe some weeks Dukes or Wright, whichever one earns that number one job, might do well for you. But I'm not investing too much. Wide receiver is a complete mystery to me right now. Uh, your top two options transfer out in Jimmy Horn and Xavier Weaver, Weaver, both of them going to Power 5 schools. And you got a bunch of guys behind them that nobody's really that proven. And I checked, they didn't bring anybody in from the portal. Now, I imagine yeah. that may change. It may be some guys enter in the spring and they grab one of those guys. But I have no clue who is going to be producing for USF. But if they get that offense running this year... They should have at least one really good option there sneakily hiding away from CFFers right now. Nate, your thoughts on the South Florida Bulls, and where do you find some value here? Where did uh, did Horn go to Colorado? Colorado. Yeah. Man, that's that's and, unfortunate. That and, he, him, and, him and Weaver, man, they both could have. Weaver went to West Virginia. That's honestly worse yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, him and him and Weaver could have been really, really fun in this offense, to be honest with you. Yeah, this is a situation where – uh, I am pretty confident this is a really, really good hire for USF, um, both real life and and fantasy. And, and maybe that's just I'm, I'm just too influenced by the fantasy <laughs> side of things. I want to see it work out because I know what he's capable of. Um, but I think it's a it's it's really nice for fantasy purposes. But you're right, we just don't we don't know yet what the um, you know what the pieces are, what the assets are to invest in yet. We just know we want to. We don't know who. Um, and you're right there, there's quarterbacks going to be fun. Whoever wins that job is, I think going to be very fantasy relevant. Um, we're just not hundred percent sure who's going to win it yet, but his, this Alex Golish, Golish system. So for those of you, um, that are, that aren't familiar with him, he, he was the play caller, not just the OC. He's been the play caller, um, at Tennessee the last two years. So those incredible Hinden hooker years, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, um, you name it in the passing game. Uh, a lot of this was due to his play calling. He also comes, uh, he doesn't come, but he has learned and and has developed this, this Art Bryles Viren shoot system as well too. Um, he tends to pass it a little bit more than Bryles and Lebby and some of the other guys, um, part of this Baylor tree. So, but like all of them, they set up the, they set up the run through the pass, they set up the pass through the run. So um, yeah, I think, this is kind of how how I'm projecting it, uh, taking a little bit of a wait and see approach uh, as to who stands out, and then um, once we get some rumblings or even you know on early waiver wires during the season, I'm probably gonna hop all over uh, whatever assets tend to stand out in those first couple weeks. Yeah, I agree with you. Definitely a wait and see approach when it comes to the wide receivers for the most part. Uh, again, sorry, I, I I was listening, but I was also like searching the web as fast as I can and trying to find any kind of proof that 
Gary Bohannon has another year, and it looks like he does. Again, I yeah, he's he's played in five years, but again, you get that extra year of COVID eligibility. Uh, he, he looks like he's got one more year, and I didn't yeah, see he's... anything about him leaving South Florida. So, and I looked it up. I did not see Lejonte Webster on uh, the declarations list. So maybe he, maybe maybe you're right that he has another year. So. I, I, I get I get a W on that this got year. One. Got, got one. one. Got one. Got <laughs> one. Don't have to look like a fool this time. Anyway, let's go ahead and go into these last two, uh, these last two coaching changes. Let's talk about Western Kentucky. Uh, you have our wonderful friend, Mister Ben Arbuckle, and his orange fat little cat going over to Washington State. Definitely sent quite the shockwave in the CFF community when it first happened. And it sent a shockwave to the players, it sounded like, as well. Because Austin Reed, pretty much after he decided to come back from the transfer portal, it wasn't long after that, that the announcement was made that Arbuckle would be leaving for Washington State. And he kind of posted on Twitter that he got caught off guard by that. But they are now bringing in drew hollingshead and if you are wondering who the heck that is i don't blame you because he <laughs> is the previously the inside receivers coach at mississippi state your ears probably perked up to mississippi state aka this dude is a student of the air raid system and when i say student this guy has been working with mike leach for six years straight he worked at him yep. with him at mississippi state and he worked with him at um, Washington State before that when Mike Leach was there as well. So this dude knows the air race system inside and out. Definitely saw what they were doing in Western Kentucky. Said, hey, I can I can do that. I've been studying under Leach for years. So that's pretty much my, my thoughts on it. Again, I think overall yeah. this is a push value for Austin Reed, Malachi Corley, all of your favorite Western Kentucky players. They're all going to the first round anyway, so like you're not going to see them go any higher. But Nate, any thoughts you have on Hollingshead? Yeah, I mean, this is a situation where he's never been a play caller. Um, so there's there's some unknown there. Uh, we know that, you know, with him being a leech protege, Helton is kind of dipping back into that pool. You know, that's where that's where Zach Kitley initially came from, uh, who who then, you know, brought us uh, Ben Arbuckle, who, who uh, comes from that same tree. The I don't know that I would necessarily say it's a push, and, and in my mind, it's not. Um, it's maybe a, a slight step down for Reed and Corley, and that's just because we know what we were getting with our buckle. Now there's a little bit of uncertainty. Mike, I think I think my biggest concern here is just what's the downfield passing game going to look like? Because Kitley and Arbuckle's version of the air raid asked their quarterbacks to stretch the field a little bit more and in doing so their a dot their average depth of target was 8.6 yards for the the last two seasons under Kitley, both at texas tech uh and during their time at western kentucky versus uh Mike no sorry sorry 8.6 um at western kentucky and it was nine yards uh average a dot on uh during his time at texas tech and yes and mike leach is totally different he's very dink and dunk we're talking about six yards yep. um with his a dot over the last three years that's a massive difference nine versus six is is pretty significant um so that's that's where my only concern lies in this in this change and there's there's too many unknowns for me to break it down really any further than that 
It's just, okay, this is a guy that most people consider to be a really bright mind, Hollingshead. And Leach is, has openly said, this is my right-hand man. Uh, I'm taking him wherever I go. Um, so that that sounds good. But are we going to see more of that, that dink and dunk type offense? That would concern me a little bit. However, we're talking about um, a, you know, a conference where some of these things, you know, that the downfield passing may open up whether they want it to or not. It's just going to be open because they're they're good at it. It helps also that their best receiver on that team is the slot receiver. So pretty much yeah. you just need to throw a slant to Corley and let him do the rest of the work. Yeah. We don't need a deep passing attack for that. Absolutely. One thing I'll say, you mentioned like, hey, Hollings has never been a play caller before. Ben Arbuckle hadn't been before last year either. And that was a concern that a lot of people had last Absolutely. year. And we saw at the beginning of the year, there was some learning curve. Like the Western Kentucky offense didn't quite look like Western Kentucky to start the year. Heck, they struggled against Austin P to start mm -hmm. the year. The, that first half, a lot of us were freaking out because we were like, oh God, is the Western Kentucky offense dead? Well, Austin Reed won QB1 season later, uh, and top 12, I mean, not the QB1. Uh, one QB one season later, he was perfectly fine, and then it just took a little bit of a learning curve. I think we're probably going to see something similar here with Hollingshead. Yeah. He'll probably I add think, his own little flair, but I think ahead. so too. I, I think I think we do see something similar. I will say, if this hire works out and they don't skip a beat, and that offense looks as good as it has the last couple of years. Um, I think we see Tyson Helton get a get a pretty solid P5 job. I mean, this is a guy that was kind of rumored to maybe be looking at jobs last, you know, this past offseason. But if you can hire Kitley and then make and then able to get Arbuckle to stay, and then you make this other hire, you, if you get three straight offensive coordinators uh, that really produce, then somebody's going to take a look at you because you're clearly making really good decisions as a CEO of, of a university. It also helps that Austin Reed's pretty much out of eligibility, so he would be moving on to the <laughs> yeah. next chapter anyway. Right. I mean, That's Malachi true. Corley would be gone. I mean, other talented guys will appear, but at the same time, you don't want to have that next season where you have a bunch of new things come in and then you take a quote-unquote step back because of all the different new pieces that you have to work with. Yeah, I agree with you. Definitely what somebody to watch for next year and would mm -hmm. love to see that at the power five level one last coach we'll touch on here again we talked power five we talked g5 talk about an independent program well independent for like the next 10 minutes i think they're joining the cusa as of this year but let's talk about jamie chadwell head coach of the coastal carolina he's heading over to liberty so we have seen the very interesting offense that he has run over at coastal carolina producing guys alike Grayson McCall, the last couple of years, definitely has some productive wide receivers and running backs, but he actually decides to stick with one running back and not hide every injury under the sun regarding all of his different players. <laughs> but Nate, what does your research say we should be looking for here with Chadwell going to Liberty and some of the interesting pieces that he has to work with there, especially at quarterback? Yeah. Yeah, so I think this is going to be a really uh, fun experiment to see how this plays out. Was was it Grayson McCall uh, that made this offense click with Jamie Chadwell and Willie Korn coming over um, from Coastal Carolina? Or was it Jamie Chadwell and Willie Korn's offense that made Grayson McCall um, be such a, a fantasy stud over the last three years? Um, I, uh, you know, from, from a quarterback perspective, I... I adore what Hugh Freeze has done with his quarterbacks over this, you know, over his career. And I don't know that that's exactly what we're going to get. Um, 
with Jamie Cadwell over here at, at Liberty. Um, I, you know, Grayson McCall had just so many years of experience in that system. This is, I mean, it's a drastically different system than what Hugh Freeze ran. I mean, this is a, this is a variation of, it's kind of a spread triple option is essentially what this is. You're taking some spread uh, components and blending that in with, with some triple option here and, and making that work. So for, you know, for the quarterbacks there, um, and specifically, uh, Kadon Salter is probably the one we're most interested in because of his ceiling. Uh, it's a big change, right? Yep. I mean, that's that's a massive change. So I'm, I, I don't know exactly what we're going to get at quarterback. I just know that uh, Jamie Chadwell's track record um, is is tied exclusively to Grayson McCall. There is there really is no track record for Chadwell prior to Grayson McCall. So. Um, it's a little bit of a wild card here to think that we're going to get McCall type numbers out of Caden Salter or whoever it is that takes over this job. Yeah, definitely a huge risk and definitely probably not nothing I'm really looking at until the end of a long best ball draft. But again, it was one, a name we hadn't really talked about on the podcast before. So I wanted to make sure we talked about it here. Mm-hmm. But also, again, like like you said, Coastal Carolina, he's feasted on bad He's feasted on bad conferences before defensively, and he, you're going to see USA, which is probably the worst of the worst when it comes yeah. to that right now. So they, we don't have to worry about Liberty playing a random old Miss or uh, playing a random SEC team in the middle of their schedule now. They pretty much get the bottom of the barrel when it comes to FBS football on a consistent basis now. So should Liberty's be a lot of schedule fun. Is- their schedule is crazy easy this year. I mean, it is there. There is nothing standing in their way of of him flipping this Liberty team into being a, a ten win team real quick. Yep. All righty that that is ten of the most impactful coaching hires that we see for the twenty twenty three season. With Nate continuing this series of articles, we're going to revisit this topic in the very near future to talk about some more guys from different conferences. Again, we kind of touched on mostly uh, some guys from the ACC, AAC, um, things like that. But we'll we'll be back with this. We'll be hitting on more of those guys. You guys seem to love content like this. Again, this is what I love to hear from you guys. You DM me. You let me know, hey, something I really want to see in this offseason is more talk about coaching hires, coach like system changes, what like which systems produce the best wide receivers. We will get to all of that. Again, lots of great content that we can do with that. And But for now, we're just going to really kind of keep you guys in the know about what these coordinator and head coaching changes mean for some of your best players. Nate, do you have anything else you want to add on top of this before we get out of here? No, just uh, look for those coaching change articles to come out. And then my uh, uh, pre-spring stock down report should be coming out in the next week. So be on the lookout for that as well. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is, again, we we just got done with the way-too-early mock draft. Go check out that special, all the analysis that goes along with that. We'll be opening up mock drafts here relatively soon. Again, obviously, it's February, it's March. Not everybody's going to be wanting to get into drafts this early, but for those of you who do, we'll be setting those up relatively soon. I want to start building ADP pretty much as soon as I can. Uh, because it one provides just a ton of great information, a really good base block for everybody to build off of for their CFF preparation. But also, again, it's just a fun time. It allows for great discussions in the group chats that we do those mocks in. So be on the lookout for that. Again, be following me at Chasing the Natty. 
that's where you're going to see all of those announcements as well. That being said, really appreciate you guys. I hope you enjoyed your Super Bowl Sunday. Again, we're recording this before the Super Bowl. So I hope it was a really good game. And hope you have. I hope most of you are in a great mood coming into your work on Monday morning. Really appreciate you guys listening. And we'll see you guys next time. Have a wonderful and blessed day.